Welcome to the Outsiders Podcast. I am Neil Sandlin here, as always, with my main man, Tyler France. What's good? What's up? We uh, are very excited about the episode today. We have thought and prayed. We were actually going to release this episode about a month ago, (laughs) and we decided that we had not prayed enough on it. We hadn't thought enough on it. We uh, didn't have a direction that we really felt led by God to go. Right. So we kept putting it off and putting it off. And uh, But here we are. We really feel like the Lord has led us to discuss it the way we're going to do it today. But before we get into the actual episode, we want to uh, do a little heart check. We want to talk about just a, a few things that might be going on uh, in our world, how they have affected us personally mm. in the context of race. And I, I'll start, Tyler. I... Um, our president spoke last week. Right. Um, at the time of recording this, it was last week, mm-hmm. uh, and he gave his spur- first speech to the Joint um, Congress, and um, it was a little bit different because we didn't have as many people there, and mm-hmm. it was just a, a little strange and a little different. But after he spoke, the Republicans gave their uh, response and their rebuttal, and and a um, a Republican. From South Carolina, a man by the name of Tim Scott, who Tim is Scott. a a black man, mm-hmm. he was the one who gave his gave the Republican rebuttal. Right. Um, and whether you agree with his positions, mm-hmm. you agree with how he stated things, what he said about things, what I found so troubling was the response of the left right. toward Tim Scott. Mm-hmm. And what was troubling was not that they disagreed with Tim Scott. Like right. I expected that. I knew that. Yeah, of course. Like no matter what he says, yeah. he's a Republican. It he, was it was the way that they were commenting and and I mean straight up being racist. They went they blatantly. They went racist. at him. A, I mean the stuff that I heard. I heard um, one Texas legislator who has now resigned. Right. Um, call him an Oreo. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Uncle. a that's a racial. Oh yeah, slur. Absolutely, um, Uncle Tim. Uh, Uncle Tim. Mm-hmm. A lot of African Americans were calling him Uncle Tim, mm-hmm. and 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 again, white people were too, man. Yeah, I, white people were. I would see the comments and um, stuff. It was crazy. Which, by the way, white people, you don't have the right to ever call a, a black person right. an Uncle Tom, or in this case, an Uncle Tim. Like yeah. that's that's not your no. <laughs> that's not your role. No. And uh, and Google where Uncle Tom came from. Yeah, but. The most shocking to me, and again, it goes back to our philosophy that only a biblical worldview can do justice properly, right? You, you remember the episode we did where we talked about a, a changed heart and a changed mind results mm-hmm. in proper actions? Yep. And you can have a changed heart, but if your mind is still all jacked up, bad behavior. If you have right thinking about a topic, but your heart's not right, you could have bad behavior. Well, this is a perfect example of what happened. You have Mm -hmm. white people on the left who believe that Tim Scott was not properly standing where he needs to stand on race. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. So let's say that that premise is true. I have no clue. Um, I haven't delved deep enough into Tim, Tim Scott to have any, even have an opinion on that, right. right? But let's say that it's true. Let's say that they were right in their critique mm-hmm. of Tim Scott. There were white people on the left who were using the N-word right. toward Tim Scott yeah. 
because they thought he wasn't anti-racist enough. Mm. Let, let yeah, that yeah, just, yeah, yeah, let that let that sink in. That is what happens yeah. when the world tries to do justice apart from a biblical worldview. Mm. Right? We're going to become the very thing we hate to stop the thing we hate. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. Like we don't want to see oppression, so we're going to you know, oppress people. So there's, there's no, there's no more oppression, right? We don't want to see injustice. So we're going to perpetrate injustice to make mm-hmm. sure that there's no injustice. We don't like racism. So we're going to be racist to stop. Ra- right. It makes no sense. It doesn't. And so I kind of come to this episode with just the bewilderment, mm-hmm. the broken heartedness of attacking. Um, Tim Scott is a professing brother in Christ. Right. So I, I, I kind of, drew up a defense for that because mm-hmm. I thought here, you're going at somebody who's my brother in Christ right. and, and attacking him in a, in a, in a completely <laughs> inappropriate racial way. And right. as a podcast, that's all about race, justice, and Jesus. Um, the, the left did race wrong. They did justice wrong. And they did Jesus wrong. And all three accounts in their treatment of Tim Scott. And, mm-hmm. um, man, it just really broke my heart for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Man, something that's been on my heart, and I mean, obviously, it's you know the the whole Micaiah Bryant thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, like we we did kind of take a break from all this. You know, right. like we weren't ready to talk about this and stuff. But it's amazing how many things happened that that you know, black people and police. This topic is is relevant to right that it has happened in the short time that we you know these two weeks right it's amazing even in our um even in our hometown where our church is located mm-hmm. mesquite texas uh you know yesterday there was a man that was was killed by police and and you know they'll have the body cam and all that stuff and they say that right. it's a justified make shooting sure it was and, just yeah sure. right uh but but again that's another mom lost a son that's another you know and so it's it's just a heartbreaking thing and um yeah a lot of that has gone down over the last you know we 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 basically pushed this thing off for like a month right and in that time we've had um like you said a lot of things that have go yeah you you had the george floyd right um verdict that came down where chauvin got um guilty on all the all the mm-hmm. counts that he was charged with and so um and then Micaiah Bryant as soon as that happened the yep. Micaiah Bryant thing happened yep. and again you know like you see the video like everything seems to check out or whatever but it's still heartbreaking yeah, it's still like heartbreaking. It's, it's it's horrible yeah. and, and, so, and and like we have said before and and I want to reiterate this what happens to someone in this nation happens to all of us right and and we we continuously divide as right. much as we possibly can in order to try to bring people together. Now, one, <laughs> and one it of, doesn't work. You know what I mean? One of the most depressing places on the planet is social media comments yeah. about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Because they, they just don't agree. Even on, right. on basic things of, of you right. know, hey, we lost somebody. This is not a, like, it's one of the most depressing things. Yeah. And so... Um, you know, even with the, and kind of going back to the treatment of Tim Scott and and stuff like that, man, like it's, it is heartbreaking and continuously frustrating, continuously frustrating. And so, especially when you do what we do, you know, where we make it our business to really study this stuff and, and, uh, you know, know what's going on. It's, it really is a lot. Yeah. And And church, you're, you're going to hear this, 
from us continuously, and you will hear it again today. We, the church, must be a place of reconciliation. Right. And we must be a place um, where we advocate for justice. Right. No matter who it is for, um, no matter what it is, uh, what topic we're dealing with, right. um, that is what we're supposed to be as we live out the kingdom of God. Absolutely. And, um, and so, yeah, a lot of that stuff has gone down, and that kind of leads us into what we're going to actually be discussing today. Um, it is one that people have asked us for, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I found interesting. We haven't had a lot of requests yeah. on, on topics, but this is one that I have actually been asked about today. We are going to get into the topic of the black community and policing. Well, Tyler, I think first we need to talk about a proper biblical view of policing. Yeah, yeah. Um, does the Bible really even talk about this issue? Mm-hmm. Does the Bible talk about proper policing? And I believe the answer is absolutely. Yeah. I believe it's yes. Um, I'm going to share some thoughts here, um, some of which will come from a book that I have been reading called Reading While Black by mm-hmm. Esau Macaulay. Mm-hmm. And um, I know we're going to have a, so a, a few stories from him later, but right. uh, Esau Macaulay um, has written this book called Reading While Black, and it's talking about how our context all is different, and we bring that context to Scripture um, differently. Mm. We are attempting to find out what it means in the first century. We're attempting to find out what it means to the original audience, but we have to always take into account that we're appropriate. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're coming to scripture with glasses that will affect, you know, how we read. And the the good thing is, is that we can take from all of that. Mm -hmm. You know, my experience, uh, I may see something in scripture that you don't see. And so you can bring it to that. And so what he's doing in his book is just talking about, you know, how the black experience may highlight some things in scripture that other experiences don't see. And uh, so I'll be pulling from that book as well. But before we get into the specifics of policing, it must be stated once again, Mm. that there is a standard of how human beings are to live. Absolutely. Um, And that standard of how human beings are to live is given by God. And it doesn't stop applying to someone simply because they choose a difficult profession. Right. Right. In other words, you have a standard that you are supposed to live by God's standard. And that doesn't stop because you're a cop. Right. Right. You don't get to stop living up to this standard because you are a police officer, Mm -hmm. which means that according to Galatians chapter five, 22 and 23, police officers should be loving, Mm. joyful, peaceful, Mm. patient, kind, gentle, good Mm. and faithful to God. Mm. When I begin to look at the fruit of the spirit in light of this context, um, it was kind of eye opening a little bit. You know what I mean? Like it kind of, it kind of, you know, cause I always look at that and I think about my own life first. Right. Right. I mean, I think that's kind of what we do. It's like, okay, well how I'm supposed to be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient. But when we take the context of policing and we put it on there and we say, okay, police officers are human beings made in the image of God Mm -hmm. and are responsible for living by God's standard, which would include Mm. how the spirit demands that we live, which is loving, joyful, peaceful, um, patient, patient, kind, kind, gentle. gentle. Yeah. 
Then you go to Matthew chapter five, three through eight, and mm-hmm. here we read, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the, the kingdom blessing mm. that comes. and From Jesus. From Jesus. Jesus is preaching these words. Right. And he's saying that we should be humble instead of prideful. Preach. Full of repentance instead of being hard-hearted. Mm. Meek instead of arrogant. Righteous instead of lawless. Merciful instead of cruel. Pure instead of obscene. Man. Peaceful instead of violent. Mm-hmm. And loving instead of hateful. Let's imagine that that was every police officer. Yes. Let, yeah. Let's imagine if every police officer in this nation lived up to the standard mm-hmm. that God has demanded and required right. of human beings. Right. right? And, Not and, suggested. Right. Know, this it's, is it's a demand. A, yeah. Um, and, and right now I can hear some people say, yeah, but we're all supposed to be like that. Yes, we're all supposed to be like that. Mm-hmm. But let's not derail the context of this episode. Right. Police officers are supposed to be like that. Yeah. Police officers are supposed to be loving mm-hmm. and kind mm-hmm. and joyful and patient and gentle and good and faithful and humble and repentant and meek, soft hearts, righteous, merciful, pure, peaceful, mm. and loving. Mm. That's what is supposed to characterize human beings who have taken the profession of a police officer. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the duty of policing specifically? So let's add on to that, right? So right. you've got th- these general things that God demands that police officers are supposed to be because they're human beings. Right. Now, what about um, policing specifically? Now, in order to, to discuss this, I want to go to Romans chapter 13. Now, Romans chapter 13 is a passage uh, written by Paul that has often been used to basically just say... Um, and wrongly to basically just say you're supposed to obey the government no matter what. Right. Right. Like the yeah. government is there by God's ordination, mm-hmm. which we agree with. And so you're supposed to submit to the government no matter what. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that there's a deeper absolutely context or a, a deeper thing that Paul is doing here mm-hmm. s- more than simply saying, hey, we should just follow, follow what the government. Yeah. the government says. Right. All right. So let's start in verses one and two. Uh, if you're at home and you can grab your Bible, you can do that with us. If not, uh, I'm going to read it. So if you're in your car or you're running or doing whatever you do, um, this is what Romans 13 verses one and two says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities Mm -hmm. for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. By God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. judgment. Now, you can read that and say, Paul is saying right there, Neil, look, let every person be subject to governing authorities, period. That's it, Neil. Mm. But we have a little context to, that, that makes me say, I don't think Romans 13 is saying we're supposed to obey the government no matter what. Right. Because in chapter nine of Romans, Paul speaks of a wicked government, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Under who, Tyler? Pharaoh. The wicked government was under Pharaoh, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Here's this wicked government that God is fixing to take down. Right. And he does it through a human being. Right. Right. He calls Moses. He tells Moses, Moses, you're to go and you are to basically hold Pharaoh responsible. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Hold him responsible. So there's no way that Paul is thinking 
we are just supposed to submit submit to the government no matter how wicked it is no matter how it's doing or anything like that yeah yeah. okay so that is not what paul is saying in romans 13. Mm -hmm. now we recognize tyler that there are responsibilities that the state has yeah we're not anarchists right you know absolutely we don't believe that that like we believe the government is good it is a good thing we should have needed needed governments are needed right um and at the same time, we recognize that those governments are under God, mm, right. Right? right? So we submit to the state as it submits to God, as it submits to God, right? Right. And when the state does not submit to God, I am not required to submit to the, to the state. state, right? So because we're, we're Christian first, we're absolutely. Christ followers first. Absolutely. And Romans 13, I believe, has taken been taken out of context at times mm-hmm. to lay upon people uh, a burden that Paul does not lay upon us. Yeah. So our submission is grounded in what the state should do. Mm -hmm. Right? So our submission is to the state as the state submits to God. So our submission is grounded in what the state should do. And this is where verses three and four come in. Mm -hmm. Here's what Paul says in verses three, four, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Mm. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. God's servant for your good. Right. But if you do wrong, be afraid Mm. for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoing. Mm. I want to point out a few things here. Okay. Number one, it says, that the the ruling authority mm-hmm. bears the sword. This phrase "bear the sword" has connections with Roman military. So, in other words, the authorities in power—Caesars, emperors, um, governors—they bear the sword through their military, right? This sword refers to the actions of the military on behest of those in authority. Right. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. So you, you, this bearing the sword is people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like yeah. the Roman government bears the sword through this military. Second thing I want you to see about verses three and four is that everything I just read should be the attitude of the state. Mm. The state should follow verses three and four. Paul does not have in his mind that the Roman government is doing this. Mm-hmm. Paul knows the Roman government at the time. Right. He knows how wicked and pagan they are. Right. He is not under any uh, false idea mm-hmm. that this is the way all governments run. Mm-hmm. Paul is giving a an attitude that should be. Mm-hmm. Another thing that this text tells us is that Paul recognizes that the state has tremendous influence on how the soldiers treat citizens. Now, this is important because the Roman soldiers took their P's and Q's from the Roman authorities. Mm. If the Roman authorities were wicked, then the Roman soldiers were going to act in a wicked way. Mm -hmm. The, the, The impact of the governing authorities was going to sway the way the sword was was. Baird, right? Mm -hmm. Another thing, Paul says that the government should be a source of fear 
should not be a source of fear right. for the innocent. Mm. So let's just take those things and then we're going to talk about them. Bear the sword. That's Roman government. Right. Attitude the state should have. That's what this text is. Paul recognizes that the state has tremendous influence on the individual soldiers. Mm-hmm. And Paul says that the government should not be a source of fear among the innocent. That's huge. Now, I think historically, um, when, when you start looking at the Roman, the way the Roman had set up their military, I think it is proper to refer to Roman soldiers, at least a portion of them, as police. As police. Yes, mm-hmm. as police. Now, the, obviously, the Bible didn't call them police. That was not a word that came along till later let, let me define police this but is that's, how that's their function essentially yeah yeah, yeah. I, let me i'll talk about those two groups in right. just a second yeah but that there was a function of the roman military that functioned as police mm-hmm. okay um let me give you esau macaulay's definition of police any organized unit of men under official command whose duties involved maintaining public order and state control in a civilian setting mm. so yes this would apply to roman soldiers right all right. That's what they did. Yeah. The Romans developed what they called the Praetorian Guard. Mm. This was a group of soldiers that were separate from the legions outside the city. So the city had thousands of soldiers that were outside of the city. They were mm-hmm. the first line of defense. These were like what we would call military. Right. Right. We don't call our police officers military. Mm-hmm. This this group of legions outside of the city. That, that was That's, what we would today call military. Right. This Praetorian... They're soldiers. Yes, mm-hmm. soldiers. This Praetorian Guard was a different group of people. They lived inside of the city among the people. Okay, now that, that's really important. So the legions are outside the city. Mm-hmm. The Praetorian Guard is now inside of the city. They're different from the legions outside of the city. Mm. They're separated from them. There was another group that the Romans actually created called the Vigils. It's where we get our word vigilantes. Mm -hmm. This group was supposed to put out fires and investigate petty crimes. So you've basically got three different parts of the military. Mm -hmm. You've got the legions outside the city. They're the first line of defense. They're They're our soldiers. We've got the Praetorian Guard inside of the city. And the vigils inside of the city, which, by the way, they didn't wear armor. Really? They weren't in uniform. Hmm. They looked and acted like the rest of the people. But it was their job to to police society. Yes. It was their job to keep the peace, Mm -hmm. curtail crime, put out fires. Uh, They were even the muscle behind the tax collectors. Mm. So the tax collectors would Mm -hmm. go and collect their taxes, and this... Praetorian guard group would actually go with them to make sure that the money was taken care of. Right. And the reason I share all that is because Paul's words in Romans 13 are not in a vacuum, Mm. right? They're They're, abstract. They're not this abstract statement that Mm -hmm. is made. Mm. Roman Christians were coming into contact with this policing military every single day, every single day. Yeah. Um, These Roman police, often were corrupt Mm -hmm. because the government was corrupt. The government was bad. And so a lot of these Roman uh, police were bad, right? They, they extorted money from citizens. Mm -hmm. So in other words, let's say I'm the muscle for the tax collector. Yeah. Let's go ahead and collect a little bit more today. Right. Let's demand a little bit more today. Who's going to stop me? (laughs) And uh, yeah, who's going to stop me? And that money needs to go to me. Yep. And and if you do that at tax collector, I'll give you a little bit something too. Mm-hmm. Um, they abused their power on the regular. Mm. 
This is the environment the Roman Christians lived in. Mm-hmm. So when Paul says, here's what the, the governing authorities that bear the sword should be, the Christians would read that and said, but that's not what they are. Mm. That's not what they're doing. Right. So Paul is saying that these authorities, these Roman authorities are to set the tone for how their police execute their duties. Right. Right. Yeah. And if the government's corrupt, then they will follow that lead. They're going to follow that lead right, right down to it. So Mm -hmm. Romans 13 is not simply about people submitting to government authorities. It's about how the government should conduct themselves under God's authority. Mm -hmm. So yes, Romans 13 does speak to, makes a lot of sense to how I'm supposed to submit to the government. It actually, I think speaks more Mm -hmm. to how the government's supposed to submit to God. Mm. What this means in our society is that the government should have proper laws. They should have proper training. Right. And they should send the proper overtones to our police force so that officers will be executing justice and righteousness and that innocent civilians will not fear. Mm. Let me say that again. Here's mm-hmm. what this means for our society. Mm-hmm. Government should have a, have proper laws, proper training, and should send the proper overtones to police officers mm. so that officers will be executing justice, righteousness, and so that innocent citizens will not fear. Yeah. And unfortunately, Tyler, you and I both know that hasn't always been the in case, case. Yeah. in our nation. Right. I, I, I think one of the greatest examples of this is Jim Crow laws. Oh, yeah. Those in government that pushed and supported Jim Crow laws, supported corrupt laws, Mm -hmm. and they were corrupted. Right. So these people were corrupt, and the laws that they were supporting were corrupt. Mm -hmm. Which means the human beings that police those laws will in turn be corrupt. Corrupt. Yeah. They, the law says this black person can't go to this bathroom. Right. So when the black person tries to go to the bathroom, the police now taking their P's and Q's from this corruption mm-hmm. say, I can do whatever I need to do to get this person out of this bathroom. And that's what happens when government doesn't submit to God. Right. Um, you can't be Pretty in this restaurant. With. You can't sit in this movie theater. Mm-hmm. You can't ride this bus. And you can't be out here protesting and we're going to sick the dogs on you and Mm -hmm. we're going to spray water hoses at you. And we're going to, we're going to exercise our authority underneath this corruption. So that's just one example, right? Right. We see the problem, right? Corrupt people making corrupt laws and the policing Mm -hmm. is corrupted. Yeah. So Paul here is speaking about an ideal. An, an ideal of how the government should be, an ideal mm-hmm. of how policing should be, an ideal in Romans that, thirteen. In Romans thirteen, yeah, going back to Romans thirteen, okay. An ideal that we can create, mm-hmm. where those who even are suspected of committing a crime yeah. will be treated with respect, with and respect dignity and dignity. And, yeah, yeah. and that doesn't mean that that cops cannot use lethal force at times. Mm-hmm. That does not mean that cops can't get physical at times. Right. But it means that that our priority Mm. is to make sure we're executing this duty first and foremost Mm -hmm. with the fruit of the spirit and the blessings of the kingdom of God. And then with righteous laws and just 
training mm. to execute these things. So what Paul has done for us and is basically outlining rulers, authorities as God's servants, mm. right? Without mm. really addressing the evil rulers. Mm-hmm. He's saying, look, here's what the government is. Right. And it's kind of like, no, you know, they ain't, <laughs> Yeah. but this yeah, is yeah. what they're supposed to be under God. Mm-hmm. Um, let me, let me give you one other text. Luke chapter three, verse 14. Th- this mm-hmm. is one of those texts that, and I'm sure this happens to everybody, but this is one of those texts where you you're reading the Bible and you're like, I know I've read this cause I've read the, old, the, the, the whole new Testament multiple times, mm-hmm. but how come I've never read this? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. how come I've never seen this? Oh, yeah. Um, John the Baptist was preparing us for God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. He was preparing Repent us for the kingdom of God as a hand. Yes. He was mm-hmm. preparing us for, for God. Mm-hmm. And as he's preaching this message, as you just said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Mm-hmm. People started wanting to know, okay, I repent the kingdom of God here. How am I supposed to change my life to fit into this kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. And, and in Luke chapter three, Different kinds of people are coming to him, basically saying, in my specific situation, how do I change? Mm. In my specific situation, how do I change? And in Luke chapter 3, verse 14, a soldier comes to him. And here's what it says. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? Mm. And he said to them, do not extort money. Now, right there, yeah, that means extortion was going on. Right. Because he's saying, right. this is how you're supposed he's to change. something that's right. actually happening. You're supposed yeah, to yeah. change by stopping this. Right. Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. With your wages. Mm-hmm. John here probably has in mind one of these two groups inside the city. The legions outside the city, they weren't policing the people. Right. They weren't extorting people for money. Mm-hmm. Their job was to make sure nobody attacks the city. Mm-hmm. He's probably thinking of those groups, uh, possibly those that helped with tax collecting. Mm. Um, but it's true. It's true statement here. I mean, it would have applied to all Roman police. Right. John begins by condemning extortion. He begins by saying, stop using your power to prey on the weak. And by the way, extortion only works on those that have no recourse. Right. Only Absolutely. those that, that are weak. Mm-hmm. Um, John was concerned with police mm-hmm. using their power to pursue their own agendas at the cost of those that were most at risk. Mm-hmm. He may have in mind the idea of offering someone up for a crime to appease a political end. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we see Jude, uh, we see Pilate do this with Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Right. He knew Jesus wasn't guilty. Yeah. But to serve a political end, mm-hmm. namely Caesar above him and right. to appease Caesar the, and the, the Jews below him, right, right. to appease and to to come mm-hmm. to a political end, he offered Jesus up to be killed. He did. Talk about corruption. Yeah. John says, "Don't do that." Right. That's not what soldiers policing in the kingdom of God should look like. It's not your standard. Yeah, this is not your standard. And it is the church's job. As we submit to the government, as it submits to God, mm-hmm. it is the church's job to remind those in charge of governing properly, mm-hmm. of creating an atmosphere that people will not live in fear. That's huge. That is a, the standard mm-hmm. that 
John the Baptist and Paul are laying out here. Mm -hmm. Don't extort people. Don't have false accusations. Don't treat people, uh, the weak people in a way, just because you can. Don't abuse your power. Don't abuse your power. God has given you. Paul says government's supposed to submit to God. The government is supposed to execute bearing the sword in such a way that innocent people never have to fear, Mm. never have to worry, never have to be afraid. This has been the context in which I'm leading to this statement. Mm. Black people have repeated this lament over and over and over again that the people are not supposed to live in fear. Right. Good should be rewarded. Right. Evil should be punished. Right. But citizens should not live in fear. Right. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, due to times in our country of corrupt politicians, mm-hmm. corrupt laws, and just corrupt pe- police officers, right. African-Americans by and large would say there's a lot of times in our lives where we feel like we are living in fear and we haven't done anything wrong. Mm. And I think that's where we probably need to go next, Tyler, is as we begin talking about the the, the cultural situation that African-Americans have found themselves in in their day-to-day lives as they interact with police officers, hoping that police officers will do the right thing so that they don't have to live in fear. So, Neil, uh, I think you and I would agree there are wonderful policemen out there. Amen. Uh, There are men and women of the law who strive to live up to the standards that we just laid out, that God set for them. Yeah. Uh, who take their oath to protect and serve very seriously and who treat everybody with, with dignity and respect. Right, right. And those police officers, they, they exist and they deserve to be celebrated. Absolutely. Uh, that being said, the antithesis of that also exists. Yeah. And we can't ignore the destruction that those officers can and do leave behind. Nor should we. Right. Absolutely. So, um, Webster's Dictionary defines trauma as a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. And we're mm. going to we're gonna really dive into trauma today. Yeah. Uh, and according to the American Psychological Association, trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event. Mm. Immediately after said event, uh, shock and denial are typical. Longer term reactions include unpredictable emotions, flashbacks, uh, strained relationships and even physical symptoms like headaches or nausea. Yeah, your body responds to Or trauma. not even being able to breathe. Yeah. Right? Like you just get so panicked. And if you struggle yeah. with anxiety or whatever Panic else, you can play into that. Absolutely. You know? um, so the fact of the matter is that when a police officer does not police with the standards that God has set for them. Yeah. Um, according or even according to law. Right? right. Yeah. Uh Trauma is what we're left with. Yeah. And you're going to have, you're going to have that issue of trauma for and sure. Especially when it comes historically for the African-Americans, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and then that's the thing. You can't remove this conversation outside of the history of the United States. Right. Like you just can't do it. Right. It's impossible. Yeah. And if you want to know more about that, go back and listen to our first, yeah. first few podcasts. Cause we yeah. really 
tackle that. Yeah, everything's connected here for sure. Uh, man, one of the things that that ticks me off, honestly, man, after every gut wrenching uh, police shooting of an unarmed black person, whether it's justified or not, uh, the same thing is always said. They say, "Why didn't he just listen to police? Shouldn't have resisted." Uh, why didn't he just comply? If he did what the officer said, then he would still be alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know in a in a world that is that is policed the way God has set the standard to, mm-hmm. that would work. Or if you lived in a world where no one was broken, right? <laughs> right. If you lived in a world yeah. where no one had trauma, right? And no one had where there were no hurt people to hurt people. Yeah. Yeah. Then yes, all interactions could go smoothly. Right. Um, but that's not the real world we live in. Right. And as far as complying and stuff, man, I would encourage all of my friends, my family to comply with the police. Absolutely. You know, like know your rights, uh, be respectful, but, but comply. Execute the fruit of the spirit in your own life. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, but what I think the people commenting are not taking into account is the trauma that comes with so many years of this, or just one experience even yeah. can do this. Right. Um, man, this is the case personally for for a lot of my friends. Mm. Um, yeah. By the time a police officer pulls them over, they're they're hit with like this paralyzing fear. They're freaking out. That overtakes them. I mean. The, these are not criminals. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like these, yeah, are, these... these are some of my like good godly friends yeah. uh, that are law abiding. Yeah. They ha- see have those... police officers in their family. Yeah, absolutely. They, you know? they see those red and blue lights and automatically have the thought that this could be the end. Right. I can be honest, man. I've, I've kind of, you know, my heart's dropped a couple times whenever I get pulled over and right. stuff. Right. Yeah. Everybody gets a little this bit. This is the end for me. Yeah. Yeah. Usually my anxiety is like, Oh crap! I don't want to have to spend this money exactly. out of my bank account to deal with this ticket that <laughs> I just got. How am I going to explain this to my wife? But it's never been right. I got to act perfect right here so that nothing goes down. Yeah, and I think the reason that is, man, is is because I think the trust bes- between uh, black citizens mm-hmm. and police ha- has been kind of severed, right yeah. through through a lot of the history yeah. and stuff. At least, so, really, really fractured. Right. Yeah. And that. And, not saying all, but I would say most that I know. Yeah. Yeah. All I can go again, I mean, all I can go, I don't have poll data in front of me, yeah. but all I know is that is the typical response of all the black people I know yeah. as well. All shapes, sizes, yeah, even genders sometimes. Yeah. Like I've seen women, you yeah. know? Um, so for the next few minutes, I want to share several stories from a, a few Christian black men. Yeah. And I want us to stop and take a minute to put ourselves in their shoes. Yeah. I think that's super important for this because right. we're dealing with trauma and stuff and we need to understand people's trauma mm-hmm. in order to to really get a grasp on it. So right. so if you're a Christian and you're listening to this, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Man, say that again. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's so important. So treat them like they are. So important. So for the sake of loving them well, let's put aside any bias or political agenda or allegiance that we may have and just for these next few minutes, let's just listen to these stories. Just listen. As if you were the one that it was affecting. Imagine this was you. Imagine this is you. Put yourself in their shoes. Just listen. Uh, the first one is a good friend of mine. Uh, mind you, he comes from a family of police officers, like you said. Mm-hmm. His dad was a detective, brother currently an officer, like 
comes from a long line of police officers, right? Yeah. Decorated police officers, really good ones. Right. Uh, so he's not running around hating police. Right. This guy does not hate right. police, and and neither is he a troublemaker. Yeah, he's right? a good dude. Uh, that being said, in December 2006, he was visiting his girlfriend. He was a little confused about the roads and where he was, so he was driving slow. I've done that before, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I don't yeah, know yeah. where I'm going, so Put I don't want to pass. Put your blinker on, and you're going to turn, you know? and then you, you realize that's not where you're supposed to turn, and yeah. Right. So, so a police officer pulls him over, uh, demands that he gets out the car. He complies. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets out, the officer said that he was moving too quickly. So he gets out of the car. So like outside of the car, he was moving too quickly. Right. Like he gets out of the car and it, it spooked the officer or something. Okay. Right. Um, and so said he looked suspicious. They took him to the ground and then he called for backup. Right. Um, they proceeded to handcuff him and then sit him on the curb. And then they continued to question him mm-hmm. to so, see if so they could find something on him. All he was doing was looking suspicious right? because he didn't know exactly where he was supposed to turn. Right. And the initial confrontation with the police officer mm-hmm. was to get out of his car. Yeah. Right. Um, not where are you going? Hey, where are you headed? Hey, yeah. you know, are you lost? Do we need to help you out? Right. It's immediate. Yeah. Let's treat him like a criminal. Get out of the car. Before we know anything. Right. Yeah. It's, it's stinks. Um, but once they found out he wasn't guilty, because uh, he didn't do anything, he didn't do anything. He didn't have anything on him or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, the the officer literally said, "You shouldn't look so suspicious." So what he said? What am I supposed to do? Left with that? Him with what that. am I supposed to do with that information? Yeah, absolutely, it's craziness. Um, hmm. That I mean, that's 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 crazy to me, man. It's traumatic. I, I've that's that is traumatic. It's traumatic. That affects the way you view police. Yeah. And I've never, never had that experience right. at all. Yeah. And so uh, we're going to get into another example. It's a, it's a lot less personal to me. I don't know this guy, but, you know, we did talk about him a little bit. Esau McCauley mm-hmm. uh, and his many run-ins with police. Yeah. And again, he's not a criminal. Yeah. He said um, he's never once been in trouble with the law. Right. You know, never been charged with anything. Mm-hmm. But he said... Probably around 10 times in his life, he's had run-ins with cops that ended up with him being released and let go, right. but the, the time in between traumatized him greatly. Yeah, absolutely. Greatly. So, uh, PhD, American biblical scholar, uh, mm-hmm. I think he's a professor. Yep. Yeah. At, at, Wheaton. at Wheaton College. Studied under N.T. Wright. There you go. He's an Anglican guy. Yeah. So, Don't hold that against him, but you know, <laughs> hey. <laughs> so, uh he, this is something that he wrote, and I think it's important that we get some, you know, some of his words. Yeah, let him tell mind. it. Yeah. Uh, so for black folks, telling the truth about police encounters is painful. Only mm. some people will assume that you're being honest. Yeah. Oh, you're making so it let's up. Let's stop right there. Yeah, you're making it up. It's not not real. You're exaggerating. Yeah. And and the only reason people think you're not being honest is because they haven't had that's that not experience. their experience. Right. And so it's hard for you to believe that's the case just because you haven't experienced it. Right. So, uh, you know, or he said, he even said, you know, or others will think that you hate police or America. Right. You're saying this like, because you hate cops or you hate right. the United States. And you have an agenda and you want to, it's like, no, I'm, I'm right. saying this because this happened to me. Like this is, yeah, this is what went down and in I'm my life. And I'm traumatized by it. Mm-hmm. And you're not listening. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, yeah. that, that traumatizes too. Yeah. Um, 
He said, the most difficult aspect of speaking about my interaction with police is that it forces me to revisit a time mm. when I felt the full weight of this country's checkered racial history on my shoulders. Mm. That's a... That's it's hard. A big, it's a big that's statement. That's a hard statement. Just let it let it just so ride in, right there for a minute. <laughs> Dang. In fall 1997, one Friday night, we all crowded into my Delta 88 and headed down University Drive, a central throwaway in my hometown of Huntsville, Alabama. So he's in Alabama. Uh, we were four black boys heading to a party. I hadn't forgotten to get some gas earlier, so I decided to stop at the station coming up on my left. In my city, this street is well known. Highly populated and relatively safe. Mm-hmm. It is the same street you would go to get to the mall. So, right, you know where we are. It's like town east area, right? right like it's yeah. pretty. Yeah, safe. I think he's. I think he said in another place that it was like less than a mile from the mall. Yeah. So yeah, this right. isn't in, out in the middle of nowhere. Right. So much to my surprise, at the same gas station, I saw some of our friends from the school. We got out of the car, and convert. Uh, com- <laughs> Converse, Converse. They were wearing Converse. They were wearing Converse shoes in '88. <laughs> I, guess, I guess that was a yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah they absolutely. were talking yeah. about their plans. They were they were talking about our plans for the evening. They did not know about that party, so I I told them that they should follow us. There, one of us pumped gas while I went inside to pay. So he said, after I returned to my car, I got ready to leave. I noticed an all black SUV had pulled up right behind me. I remember thinking that dude can chill. Because I would be gone in a minute. But then another SUV came, and on the left and on the other right, we were surrounded. So he's getting literally surrounded by SUVs. Right. Unmarked. Right. Right. All three ways that he could exit her now been blocked. So dude is thinking, like, am I getting carjacked? Is something, I'm about to die? Like, yeah. <laughs> like what getting is about gas. to happen? Um, before I had a chance to consider the matter further, police came pouring out of the SUVs and rushed the car. They were not flashing weapons. They had flashlights. I thought, well, that's good news. Flashlights. Uh, They told us to keep our hands visible, and then they told us to get out of the car. Okay? So automatically treating them. All right. As if they're guilty of something. As if they're guilty of something. I remember asking what the problem was. The cop told us that we were at a well-known drug hangout. And this is hilarious. I remember thinking, this is also a well-known place to get gas on a Friday night. (laughs) But I remained quiet. Yeah, smartly. Yeah, right. Then the police began to search my car without my permission. They looked under the seats in the glove compartment, the trunk, everywhere. They did not find a thing because we were not drug dealers. I was furious, but what could I do? After they did not find anything, I remember asking the officer for his badge number. I had seen that on TV. (laughs) He covered his badge. They got in the SUVs and left. So he wouldn't give him the badge number. He covers it. That's legal. After it was over, my friend said, are you ready to go to the party? I replied, I think I'm done for the night. I took everybody home and told my mother what happened. I had managed to get a partial plate of one of the trucks. She called the station and found out they were part of some drug task force. Now, this next part was big for me when I heard it. Right. Nobody nobody apologized. Nobody cared. I remembered. Mm -hmm. They went on about their day. Right. As if it was just another event for them right Esau Macaulay to this day changed the way he is know, affected by things. by that yeah. instance yeah so that was that was nothing to them oh we were wrong right they won't even say they're wrong right <laughs> but, yeah. Scar- you know. scarred this kid right scarred I think he was 17 years old at the time yeah he was a kid scarred this kid for the rest of his life yep all right number two 
One Saturday night, I was parked outside the house of a friend talking with my girlfriend. We were having one of those silly arguments that couples have in my high school. A police car pulled up, flashed the lights, and asked what we were doing. I told the officer that we were just talking, which was true. He asked for my license and registration. I gave it to him. Moments later, he came back and told me to get out of the car. I complied. He told me to place my hands on the car. That scared me. I asked the officer, what's the problem? He said that a warrant was out for my arrest. I asked him what I had done. He told me I wanted I, I was wanted in connection with an armed robbery in 1987. This is great. I said, sir, I am 18 years old. In 1987, I was eight years old. I think you're looking for my father. We have the same name, but we do not look alike, given that he is a grown man. While I stood there with my hands on the car, he considered the facts and decided that I was indeed not the Esau Macaulay he was looking for, who, as it turns out, was not guilty of that crime either. So that guy wasn't even there. He then asked me if I had any information on where my father might be. I said no. He let me go. I went home. Again, traumatizing the guy, mm-hmm. right? I wasn't wrong. treated with dignity and respect. I, I, these are, you know, thank mm-hmm. God they didn't end really bad. Yeah, yeah could it ended, It could ended up being even worse if he would have reacted some yeah. kind of way. What if, or, what if what if the police officer said, you know, license registration, and he's not necessarily like, what if he was just like, don't yeah. have it, or you know, I yeah. no, I've, <laughs> I'm not suspected yeah. of a crime or whatever else. If if he had any attitude at all, how would he have been treated? It could have been ended very differently, for sure. Now, this one is is kind of a feel-good yeah. <laughs> compared to the others. He said, now I'm living in New England. I was driving through a small town and came across a roundabout of some sort. I think I was supposed to come to a full stop, but I didn't. So he did break the law in that right. sense, right? A cop came, pulled me over. He asked me why I didn't stop. I explained my confusion to him, and he understood. He let me go with a warning. No searches, no attitude, and a warning. I could not believe it. I think I called my mom or my brothers to tell them about it. Right. So he was so floored by a cop treating him with respect and dignity that he had to get home so that he could tell his mom and his brother about this incident. Right. And how great it went and how wonderful it was. Right. Um, So if you're a police officer listening to this and you're a Christian... You can have Think a huge impact. Right. You can have a huge impact on your interactions with African-Americans. Absolutely. So, um, so that's, I mean, I, I think those three stories, you know, obviously very different. And remember, he said this has happened to him around 10, ten times ten in times, his life. Yeah. Instances yeah. very similar to the first two that we read. Right. Traumatizing. And so we let him, uh, you know, we wanted to read his words. This next one we are going to actually play a clip and let him talk. Uh, it's a it's a radio interview on Power 106 with Christian hip hop artist Lecrae. Mm-hmm. Sounds um, like it sounds like it should be more of a like a rock station, right? Power, Power, Power 106. FM 106. Oh, oh yeah, no, you know, like you expect like good radio voice. Yeah, that's bro. a good radio voice. You expect like Megadeth to start playing or something. Yeah, no, it's hip hop. Not it's a hip hop station. It is though. Uh, but anyways. We're going to play that clip, and we're just going to kind of interact with it, and uh, please listen up to Lecrae's words. I know, right? I know. Listen, I asked this question to Dave East the other day, uh, not to name drop, but I'll ask Lecrae as well. (laughs) If you get pulled over, you're driving, and they want you out of the car. You don't know why they're pulling you over. Are you getting out of the car? Man, I'm, I'll be scared now. I ain't going to lie to you. I was just, I was rolling through the hood uh, going to see one of my friends. What hood? 
in in uh in in Atlanta. Uh-huh. So yeah, uh, on the west side, I was rolling through going to see one of my friends, and um and I just thought about something. I was like, bro, I'm not afraid of nothing out here except the police. That's crazy to me. That is, it's sad. There's a yeah. statement. No, seriously, that uh, you know because you're not supposed. You know, when, when we're kids, you're 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 taught that the police are there to help. Yeah. Yeah, that's sad. And that's not to say, you know, I mean, I know it's, it's good police, but I'm just saying sure. like, that's a crazy phenomenon. And I mean, I, but I've experienced this so many times, too, to where it's like my that's why I feel like people who haven't experienced it don't know what to like, don't relate. But when you experience it, I was yeah. I've been driving the shows and pulled over, pulled out the car. Seats ripped out the car, put on the curb, handcuffed. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, hey, all for questioning. By yeah, the way. all for questioning. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm. I'm probably the last person that you would suspect to be doing anything crazy. I don't know if you know, but uh, <laughs> right, you know what right, I mean? Right. We love Jesus over here. <laughs> I don't know if you, but it's all good. You know, it's just like they me. They don't know. that. Yeah, so. Mm. Uh, so you're getting out of the car. Yeah, I got to get, I get, I, not now. I mean, I don't know how I would respond. I would, yeah. I, if I'm by myself solo, I might be, another crazy story. This just happened. So I was, um, I was, going to visit another friend mm-hmm. and I couldn't figure out where I was going you know I could I, so I'm driving really really slow and downtown and um and I parked my car and I'm like okay I think this is the building and it's and it was some lights some some police lights on behind me yeah but in the area of town I was at I just assumed they was pull somebody over or they did something I didn't know it, the lights was on for me so I'm getting out the car to go into the building as soon as I open the door he's like Get back in the car. Guns drawn. Like, this is like a month ago. You honestly don't know what's happening at this I, point. I don't know what's going on. Sure. I'm like, I, yo, I thought I was going to die. I was like, I'm about to die right now. Like, this is how it happens. From the law enforcement. Yeah. I'm about to die right now. Like, this is how it goes down. Yeah. So that was crazy, man. It was just a wild. So why did they end up pulling you over? Because I was driving really, really slow through the neighborhood, and, it, and there was, it, it was, I was legitimate. There was a stop sign. Covered in trees, you yeah. know, overgrown, and I didn't see it. So that does I just... happen. You could fight that in court, by the way, right? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. You got to go take a photo of it though, with the like trees covering it. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, but that was it. Was still wild because it was like, yo, I just saw myself as as Philando in that moment. I was like, oh, oh my goodness, yeah, like this yeah. is how it goes down. That's like, scary. Yeah, it was super scary. Like, yo, I've seen this happen before on Instagram, yeah. and it didn't end up too well. I and but you know, on, on, I get it. Like, I'm, I get the whole idea of like, you don't, they don't know. If their life is in danger, absolutely you know, I just right. Open the door, they pull me over. He's like, "Yo, yo, 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 chill out." But yeah, man, please just pull the taser out on me, homie. Like, just, just shock me. <laughs> yo, to please no shoot me with the beanbag, please. You feel yeah. me? Like, <laughs> tase me, get me to. Sh- I don't, that's sad. That's tase me, bro. <laughs> that's what it's come to. Like when you do something to me, do the least. Yeah, please. Right, like, right. hurt me the least, please, bro. Yeah, hurt bro. me the least. Because I gotta Torture be somewhere. Me the least, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a future and I got plans. <laughs> like, that's that's Lecrae. Talking about that man, and it's sad. I think they uh, they laugh from keep from to keep, keep from, from crying. crying. Yeah, yeah. Man. You know, um, it reminded me, you know, a couple things that he said there that jumped out at me. One was the answer to the question: You're by yourself, you're driving, you get pulled over. Do you get out of the car? Yeah. And for Lecrae to say, I don't, I don't know what I would do. Well, he, at first he was like, he's like, well, yeah, and then he's like, well, I don't know. Yeah. And it, that's so trauma. that confusion mm-hmm. comes from the trauma that he's experienced, right? Um, and then the the fact that in that the story where he ran the stop sign, yeah. and had I mean, guns drawn on him, right, for running a stop sign, for running a stop sign. Um, I've done that before. And then for them to just laugh it off and say, 
just tase me. If you're going to hurt me, yeah, hurt me in a way where I still get to live. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think of a story. There's another hip hop artist, a Christian hip hop artist who, um, tells the story about the first time he had a run in with cops that went bad. He's 13 years old, coming home from a friend's house, walking on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Cop pulls up next to him. Two cops get out guns drawn, 13 year old 13. kid guns drawn. He is grabbed, um, handcuffed, sat on the curb for about 30 minutes. Um, he said, I was crying. I asked him why they pulled me over uh, or why they, you know, grabbed me. And their response was, you fit a description yeah. of, a, of a burglar. Um, after finding out, after about 30 minutes, finding out it wasn't him, they handcuffed him and let him go. Mm-hmm. 13 years old. Yep. Having that experience. And, and that yeah. leads us to, I think, a discussion we got to have a little bit more in depth here about trauma. I think one of the conversations, a piece of the conversation that is being left out when we talk about the African-American community and policing yeah. is this whole idea of trauma. Right. We speak, as you said, about you know, how someone should have responded, mm-hmm. how, how something should have gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and true as that may be in a perfect world, right. all of these stories that we have just told how many African-Americans have stories that say, yeah, that's something like that happened to me. Yeah. Something mm-hmm. like that happened to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something like that happened to me. Trauma affects every area of your life. Right. And it you, doesn't even have to be your personal trauma, right? No, just like hearing it, it about your, your dad's trauma yes. that he had and he passed that story on. And then, right. so that's in your head too. And then, but a lot of them do have their personal trauma, right. which is, and, and I think to, to bring, to try to bring this home. Yeah. Think about things, phobias, um, little unhealthy things about your parents mm-hmm. that you got the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Right. They they demonstrated that for you, and you saw it, and you picked up on it, and you, you're right. the same way. Right. Um, imagine if you've heard stories your whole life about your grandparents and your parents being treated, your grandparents being treated a Jim certain Crow, way right. during Jim Crow, your parents being treated a certain way during civil rights era yeah. and you're traumatized. Mm-hmm. These people that we have just read these stories from you have experienced real trauma. Yeah. Trauma makes, as you read it, it gives off all of these different uh, manifestations of mm-hmm. what trauma does to you. You panic, you freak out, you don't right. know how to behave. You, you, your breathing changes, you get headaches, you mm-hmm. have panic attacks. You all, all of this stuff happens because of trauma, right. uh, to continue to bring it home. If you, if some, if, if a young girl was abused at the age of six mm. by an uncle, right. Her view of man, yeah. of, of, of males right. is going to be fractured because of that event. Right. Right. Um, if you grew up in a church and your pastor mm-hmm. abused his power right. and you, let's say you, you left that church, went to another church and it happened and again, again. Yeah. your view of mm-hmm. what a pastor is, right. It's fractured. It's fractured. I mean, I've had people say to me, all men are just alike Yeah. because of their experience. Right. All you pastors are mm-hmm. just alike mm-hmm. because of their experience. Right. What we're dealing with in the African-American community, in my opinion is we have generations and generations of African Americans who are traumatized by their run-in with police with police officers. Right. 
when they see the uniform, the badge, the car, the red and blue lights, their emotional and mental state goes right back to the time that they've either heard about something going down or they've experienced it already. Right. There is trauma that causes the black community to view policing a little bit different than you and I do. Yeah. I've never had any kind of run in like this. Right. I can't imagine what that must feel like mm. and be like and the anxiety and the, the, the trauma that comes with that. I can't even imagine the trauma. Yeah. And, and when we understand trauma, when we understand what that does to a person, it allows us to understand why certain people have certain reactions. Yeah. You know, we, we see a video and we're immediately going, okay, was it right for the cop to do that? Was it wrong for the cop to right. do that? We start right. analyzing the evidence. Mm-hmm. The African-American community, I, re- I remember Lecrae talking about George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And I remember him saying when he saw the knee, that mm-hmm. knee on that, that mm-hmm. black man, for him, that wasn't George Floyd. Right. That was him. Yeah. That could have been me. Or his kids. That could be my kids. Yeah. That could be, see, I don't think that. Right. That's not where my mind goes first off. Right. That's where a lot of African-American mind, that's, that's where their mind goes immediately. Right. And that's a result of trauma. And, and then we, we begin to express mm-hmm. how we view about this situation and it's being expressed very differently. Right. And so trauma. And so imagine having that trauma, but not being able to like people not believing you. Yeah, then people not believing that it happened. Which leads to more trauma. They just <laughs> you think you I mean? got an agenda. You're yeah. only saying this for your agenda. Like, or your... This is my experience. And like, I, I really went through this, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I think this area of trauma needs to be a part of the discussion mm. when it comes to policing, when it comes to why certain groups feel certain ways about policing um, that's a little bit different. And I think if we can do that, then there might be a chance for us to have better discussions. Yeah. To have better conversations. I agree. To learn from each other and to understand the fractured, tense relationship we often see demonstrated between the African-American community and the police. And I kind of want to go over some stats real quick um, and just kind of talk because, I mean, this this was fascinating. I, I was doing some research. Um, in polling, black people often express disgust at police racism, yet they support more funding for police. Mm-hmm. A 2015 Gallup poll found that black adults who believe police treated black people unfairly were also more likely to desire a larger police presence in the local area. And... Um, for those who thought treated so in their local area than those who thought police treated black people fairly. So they still wanted police presence there. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. The, the idea that black people want to abolish the police yeah. is a myth yeah. that has been created by a left leaning agenda right. and a right leaning response. Mm. Mm, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it has been created because the left wants to push an agenda of to abolish the police. Right. The right wants to attack the left um, for their view. Right. And the majority of black people are sitting there going, ain't neither one of y'all talking about what we're talking about. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like neither one of y'all are dealing with what we're dealing with. Right. And so 
it's just a myth out there. That right. is not what any of the data actually shows. Right. So a 2019 Vox poll found that despite being the racial group with the most unfavorable view of the police, most black people still supported hiring more police officers. Mm-hmm. And more recently, a June 2020 Yahoo News survey um, after the killing of George Floyd found that 50% of black respondents still said that we need more cops on the street. Mm-hmm. Even as 49% of black respondents said when they personally see a police officer, it makes them feel less secure. Yeah. So they're and still wanting people. There like, was a poll. still wanting police. Yeah, they want police no, no matter what. And, mm-hmm. and, and what's interesting, a poll was done this year. Right. 81% of blacks. Huge number. Did not want less police. Right. This year, 81% of blacks don't want less police. Right. Blacks are not anti-police. Right. They're not. They're not. They want reform. Right. They want it done better. They want training better. They want better laws or better, but they don't want less police. They're not right. anti-police. Right. Um, and, and so there needs to be, again, an understanding of the trauma right. and the actual views of African-Americans so that we can come to a better conclusion as to what African-Americans actually believe. Right. Right. And going back to the whole trust thing that's been severed, like we are, we are in need as a society to, to reconcile that trust right between black people and police. Um, but in order to do so, like you said, we need to have discussions. We need to have conversations. We need to look at perspective and experiences like we just did, you know, from them, um, and and not dismiss them, but but really deal with them and validate those feelings and and work to see them redeemed. Yeah, and I, I think that I think that's the goal of a lot of people having discussions. Is they're like we we just want to create an environment mm-hmm. where needs are listened to, where people are treated with dignity and respect, and we can come to a better way of doing this. Yeah. Right. Right. We can come to a better way of doing this so that our, so that the black community's relationship with police can be different. Right. Um, and, and like you said, building that, that trust right. back up, um, not dismissing, but listening to, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's happening, um, yeah. more and more, but it takes raising your voice to right. make sure that, that voice gets heard right. and um, hopefully moving forward, they don't have to be so loud and, the, and black people will just be believed and listened to, right. you know, moving forward. And the, and the role the church has is so vitally important mm-hmm. in speaking up properly. Cause going back to the very beginning here, we have a biblical worldview that says we can do this better. Mm-hmm. We can do this better than just how the world says to do it. We've got a standard of policing. Yeah and a standard of how God expects us to govern that is better than anything the world can throw out there. Amen. It's better than anything the right can do. It's better than anything the left can do. There is a standard and the church needs to be a voice for holding people responsible to that standard saying there is a kingdom that's better than this. Amen. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Esau Macaulay, um, just going, we'll just finish. I started with him kind of a little kind bit of covered and, it. and I, I want to, but I think reading this quote mm-hmm. is really important. Again, listen, listen to his words. We must begin to rebuild a sense of trust so that when issues inevitably do arise, 
there is a reverse of relationship to uh, to draw, draw a reserve of relationship to draw on. Mm-hmm. But we must also go beyond relationship building. It's big. We need to find ways to adjust the laws and practices that do excessive harm to minorities. Mm. These solutions must be owned by those who will be most affected by them. Black people need to feel that they can and will be treated with dignity and respect. Right. As a default. Like they, yes. need, they need to feel like you and I do whenever we yes. get, like we're going to be treated with dignity and respect. Well, and, 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 and think about what he said. There's a key there that I, that I just want to say something about real fast. The, the reserve of a relationship mm-hmm. to draw on. Mm-hmm. When me and my wife get crossways, mm-hmm. right? Y'all when, do that? Well, I mean, it's happened twice. <laughs> when, when me and my wife 20 years, that's not bad. get crossways <laughs> and we get, we get some kind of way at each other. Mm-hmm. The fact that we have 26 years Mm -hmm. of this reserve, good relationship Mm -hmm. to draw on enables the here and now Mm -hmm. issue to be dealt with properly. Mm -hmm. So we've got to build a sense of trust so that that reserve begins to get built up in our society so that we can deal with it. And he ends it this way. This is the way to end it. Mm. The church is not the state. We do not write the laws, but we can be a place of reconciliation on the one hand and advocacy for justice on the other, a place where God is working through his people. That is what we wanted this episode to be all about. Right. We are, this episode is not about bashing Mm. police officers. It's not about saying we need to abolish the police or have less funding or that's not what this episode is about. Right. Hear us out. This episode is about helping our white brothers and sisters understand why there is a fractured relationship between the black community and police officers. Mm -hmm. And it comes from history. It comes from trauma. It comes from experience. And it is radically different than mine. Mm. And for me to say, because my experience is different than your experience, then your experience is not the reality. Right. Um, That is not loving. Amen. That is not gracious. Right. And we can't have discussions if we move forward that way. Absolutely. Um, so thank you for listening to this episode. Thanks for joining us. Please love each other. Love the Lord mm-hmm. your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And especially those neighbors that are different than you. Yeah. Especially those neighbors that don't see it like you see it. Love them enough to hear them out. Love them enough to, to see where they're coming from. And let's see if that conversation can't breed more love um, as we in the kingdom of God continue to do what we're supposed to do. Amen. All right. Follow us, like us, subscribe, do all the things that we ask you to do. And uh, we will hopefully be back with you, Lord willing, in a couple weeks. Power 106 (laughs) FM. We love you guys. See you next time.